Welcome to the Maximus Podcast with your host, Joe Sabula and Bobby Maximus. Today's episode was sponsored by Lalo Tactical, uh, L-A-L-O.com. Use the code Maximus50 for a big discount on shoes. Also sponsored by 10,000, 10,000.cc. Use the code Maximus15 for a discount. We are very excited uh, to have a personal friend of mine um, and a a Canadian, Canadian legend, on the podcast, his name is Mike Weir. He's one of the best golfers of all time. Uh, the best candidate has ever produced. Uh, 2003 Masters champion, is that correct? And I want to say in 2003, you were ranked second in the world or, or, or third in the world. And, uh, you know, an all-around great guy. So, Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Robbie. Good to be with you, man. Yeah, it's good, good. Now, I, I obviously, you've had a ton of success in the world of golf. And, and I don't think we necessarily want to go over the whole story of how you got there and everything. The biggest thing that I want to talk about is your dedication to your craft, because I don't think that's something people see. Uh, mm-hmm. Every guy thinks he can lift weights, thinks he can fight, and thinks he knows how to golf. There's all these people out there that, that you know think they're great golfers because they do it every day. But the thing that surprised me about you is you're doing this thing hours and hours and hours a day to talk a little bit about what the actual training for a professional golfer looks like. Well, there's, there's the technical side of the game that you have to work on. You know, golf is, it's, it's become more science-based as, as technology has evolved, especially in the last 20 years, we have ball flight monitors that measures different spins and, and launch angles and everything. And we're, and the, the, you know, the real smart guys figure out what the ma- the best you can get out of the, out of your golf ball after your swing speed. So there's an optimum launch and spin that you want to have for your drivers and irons. And there's all this technology. So, you know, we're, we're evolving in our sport to, you know, have our bodies perform at, at that level to, to create these maximum conditions for our ball flights and things. So, well, I didn't have that growing up and, so it was all on the range, hitting by field, checking your divots, checking, you know, just visually seeing the ball flight and seeing what it was doing and then reacting to that and seeing what adjustments you need to make from that. So there's that, I think now for me, there's the, you know, the technical work on my golf swing. There's the stuff I do in the gym. There's the mental training that I do, uh, the, you know, kind of, uh, I guess trying to be present, um, and, you know, having a good balance in your life is really important. So it's all those aspects. You mean, be a high level professional athlete in anything you got to be a bit selfish and, and work diligently on that on your craft but i found if i get too down the rabbit's hole with being one-sided on my sport uh it doesn't it doesn't work too well but um yeah i mean the i, I work on all aspects you know I, when i became a professional golfer i said i'm going to treat this like i'm a professional athlete and you know there was a lot of players on the tour back then that didn't look like professional athletes there's some overweight guys and guys that just really didn't take care of themselves. There's not many of those guys that do well on the PGA tour. Now, you know, the, the sports evolved so much that it's such a power game, explosive power, um, that, you know, there's just not many of those guys that really uh, are elite players anymore. So I saw early on, you know, Tiger Woods was on the tour right when I got on the tour, even though it took me a few years, I'm older than him. I had to play these mini tour circuits a while before I got on the PGA tour. And I saw, the evolution of what was coming in the game and Tiger Woods was at the forefront of that. And I thought, well, you know, I'm a small guy. I don't hit it far. I better, I better get myself in shape and be, get the most out of my 155 pound frame that I have 
if I'm going to compete and, and be really strong mentally to compete against a guy that's going to be hitting it 30, 40 yards past me. Yeah. Now, one of the things I just picked up on was obviously the technical side of things have changed. Like people are using simulators and everything and yep. tracking the spin on the ball, but go way back when you were looking at your divots, you were doing stuff by feel, you were paying attention. I think one of the things like I want to drive home to people is can you be a professional golfer by just showing up and playing 18 holes every day? Or is that a complete myth? Because that's the divide, right? Everyone thinks I golf every day, but they're not really playing the sport of golf. They're just going and playing a game. Yeah. You, you have no chance. I mean, no chance. I mean, there's, there's been uh, other, other uh, athletes in different sports that think, Hey, when they retire from their sport, because they're a good athlete, they're going to go out there and, you know, Michael Jordan said it, Tony Romo's tried it, you know, a bunch of guys have tried it. You just, you're playing such a catch up game against guys that have done this since they were, you know, seven years old, playing, training, practicing, chipping and putting. I mean, just playing 18 holes, you gotta, you gotta spend tons of time on your short game. I've got a bunker in my backyard here. You gotta, you're hitting bunker shots and you're trying to get the right spin and get it to land and spin to the right, get it land, spin to the left. All the little details, just going out playing 18 holes is important get into the scoring and learning how to score and shoot low scores. But you know, there's a lot more that goes into it than just going out. And playing like I'm, I'm curious. Cause I, 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 two things I picked up on this are like that, that training aspect is so important to the game. Like you said, it's a real power game. Uh, and then also uh, something that we talk about a lot on this podcast is that, that life balance. So I'm going to ask you two questions and just let you riff on this one. Let's say that you, you went out, you're, you're like you said, 155 pounds, you can hit the, hit the, drive straight when you want to, which I can't. So that's, you're a better man than me there. Uh, but you add 10 pounds of muscle and a ton of power behind that. How much does that affect the technical aspect? Like how much more do you have to dial that in to, to take advantage of that extra power that you built in the gym? And then also, since you brought it up, like how do the things outside of the sport, like your work balance, your life balance affect you from a training and then specifically as a, as a competitor when you're out on the course? Yeah, Joe, you know, the first part of your question is, yeah, as I, as I got a little bit stronger, as I, you know, got probably into my thirties, um, I started paying a lot more attention to it. Um, yeah, there's an adjustment to, to your swing. There's an adjustment to how you're using the ground. You know, we talk a lot in golf now about the ground force reactions, uh, pushing off the ground, jumping off the ground to get that power. And, you know, I grew up in an era when we didn't have these ways to quantify it and measure it. So I didn't really pay attention to all that. So it's been a compared to, you know, a kid growing up now that they're growing up with it and they know how to use it. So it was an adjustment for me in my thirties to kind of, Oh, you know, pay attention to 3d tracking, putting it on and, and not getting too far down the rabbit's hole that when I was playing golf, that I was thinking about all this stuff and forgetting about my target. Um, it'd be like, you know, throwing a dart and getting your elbow right and everything. And you just throw it, but you're not looking at the bullseye. You could still miss the board. Right. So I think that's, that was kind of the adjustment. Yeah. I was getting more power, but I wanted to still be efficient. My games, I'm not going to get huge gains with my, with my speed. You know, I was getting, a few mile an hour speed in my driver, which equates to, you know, 10 yards, 12 yards, which is significant, but I didn't want to lose my accuracy. I didn't want to use what my strength was, was hitting the ball in the fairway, hitting it on the green, being accurate, being a great short game player, great putter and losing any of that with chasing this extra distance and not paying attention to, you know, bunker play and chipping and putting and, you know, which, which I've been guilty of. I've been guilty of like working so hard on my swing that I, 
I didn't spend as much time on my short game and my putting. And uh, then that started to suffer, even though my swing started getting more efficient. Was, you know, if you're not making putts and not chipping the ball close to the hole and doing all that, you know, your store score is not going to get better anyway. So, um, so that's, that's the first part of that. And then, uh, I would say, yeah, the balance in my life of, of working on the game, I think, um, I think I've talked to other players about this and I think you can, in our game, there's, there's so many little details to the game. You can just get consumed by it and your mind is constantly thinking about, okay, tomorrow I get to this, 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 and this. And, you know, you got young kids and you got a family and you're just, you, they can kind of get put on the back burner if you're not paying attention. And I know myself, I had to catch myself and with my sports psychologist talking about that balance in my life. And I found, you know, when, when my kids were young, we did river rafting trips down to Southern Utah. We go camping and I had a motor home. We jump in that and just go away for a few days, put the phones away. And that always, every time I came back from doing something like that, I, I felt better. I felt less stressed and I, my game there was more flow and more uh, creativity in my game instead of being so technically oriented. So that's what I've tried to do. Kind of, I kind of got aware of that in my thirties. I was getting so, so driven and so focused that other aspects of my life were suffering a bit. Yeah. With, with trying to balance all that, at least understand them on the outside. I don't know what's going on in guys' heads, but it seems from the outside, a lot of golfers are, Hiring caddies, firing caddies. Hiring sports psychologists, firing sports psychologists. Hiring trainers, firing trainers. Uh, and it doesn't seem to be anything personal. It's almost like you're searching for the answer, if you will. How do you, how do you keep that in check? Because it seems there's so many things to track with golf that you can't track any of them. Yeah, that's a great point, Rob. I mean, that's our sport, I don't know if any other sport, there might be sports like that, but our sport's so interesting that way that you see another player having success with another sports psychologist and another trainer or another coach that comes along and he's coaching two or three guys and they're having great success. And all of a sudden that's the new fad. And you're like, man, he's doing this in his backswing or he's doing this in his downswing and he's trying to resist with his lower, but whatever it is, you think, oh, maybe I need to try that. And you can jump down that hole and and forget, you know, what kind of got you there. And, um, you see that, that trend on the tour. I mean, now that I've, I'm away from it a little bit more and you watch online, you can see how the trend in the golf swing has changed a little bit in the last few years. You know, in my era, you used to try to get to the top of your backswing and you try to cup your right wrist to get the club face open. The trend nowadays, all the top players, Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka and a lot of guys, the, the club face at the top is shut. The, the, the lead wrist is bowed more so players are working on that more so it's interesting how the trends change um and yeah you got to be a little bit careful of like thinking that that's going to be better because it might send you down the wrong way um and you could could struggle from it do you think do you think a lot of that is just a vehicle to keep guys mentally sane because sometimes when you change something you feel a little better and and i'll talk about tiger for example Mm -hmm. it seems that he was the most dominant in the world and then when his marriage fell apart, that coincides with his demise in golf, if you will. And then he obviously came back and won again. But it seems to me like all these are vehicles to just get yourself mentally right. And at the end of the day, a lot of these things don't matter as much. Would you say that to be true? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, Tiger's talked to, he's made some technical changes in the swing over the years. I mean, he started with Butch Harmon and then he went to a guy named Hank Haney and then he worked with Sean Foley and then. He's doing some things on his own. I think he has another coach right now that he's working on. And he said it's, it's kept him fresh to, to make some changes. 
he even said, I think he said at some point he was bored, you know, with, with not working and just kind of doing the same thing over and over. And he needed like a little change. So I think that can change and, and can be important. And, and our bodies change, obviously, from the you know, athleticism at a 20 year old, 30 year old, 40 year old, as, as you guys know. I mean, so you got to make adjustments, you know, for me my mobility and my thoracic area and hips are a little more limited, even though I work hard on it. So I got to really concentrate on turning a little bit more with my hips and my, in my, in my shoulder turn where before I just kind of got there easily. Now I have to really do some things to really get that full wind up. And uh, so, you know, a coach is another set of eyes to help you with that and, and help you that you, that you stay on track. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's important. Yeah, I guess I guess what I'm really getting at, and I'll use you, Mike Weir in 2003. If you were mentally, I don't want to say switched on because I've known you for a while and you're always switched on, but you would think that right now, given all the technical practice and all that stuff, you'd be playing better than in 2003. Were you just in a super competent mental state then? What was the biggest difference? Is it an age thing? Like, is there a point that you're just too old to, 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 to play golf like you did to compete against a 2003 Mike Weir? Um, I think the yes and no, I think the game has evolved in the last 15 years, like the, the length of the players now, you know, I, I probably still hit it as far as I, as I did in 2003, but exponentially the, the, you know, there was four or five guys that hit it really long in 2003, you know, five guys. Now there's a hundred, you know, or more that hit it like, extremely extremely long and the way they set up the golf courses now there's not much premium on hitting the fairway fairway hitting was kind of an important stat back in the day you had to hit the fairways otherwise you're in some deep grass and some deep rough the ball would sit down and then you couldn't control your shot into the green and so it was important to hit the fairways um that changed a lot in the early 2000s into the mid 2000s where the game just started evolving. the course course conditions started they started setting them up a little bit easier so guys just felt free reign to just hit it as hard as they can. And then training aspect, the kids that were, you know, five, six, seven years old now, or, you know, now they're in their twenties and thirties and uh, they're just hitting the, you know, what out of it and hitting it forever. And they don't care if they hit the fairway or not. Um, and they can score because they're so far down there and so close to the green so far, you know, and they just take advantage of these par fives that that's the big disadvantage for me is that my accuracy is, you know, and there's a guy named Mark Brody who, who keeps all these stats. Well, there's plenty of guys out there who keep these stats, but he showed how, you know, driving accuracy is probably one of the least um, effective uh, stats for success on the PGA Tour. Driving distance, putting, those are the two stats. What, that are, what's the big reason for that change? Is that a money thing? Like, is that what the people want to see, the fans? Or is that just kind of what happened? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think the fans, you know, they do love seeing guys bomb it and hit it forever. I mean, I love watching it. I mean, I love watching Rory McIlroy drive the ball and Dustin Johnson, Kepka, and these guys that just mash it out there 350. It's fun to watch, especially they hit it pretty straight too. Mm -hmm. So now they hit it straight and that far, and that's why those guys are the top players in the world because they just, they're like long drive guys, but hit it straight. I blame um, Happy Gilmore for all of this. It's, yeah. it's, so many people jumped into golf because of that. And that's all they want to see is that long bomb. Well, it's the era. It's the era of that. And, yeah. uh, you know, they USGA and RNA, they, they've been implementing this in the last year to try to get a handle on it because what it does to a lot of the great golf courses around the country and around the world, 
it makes them obsolete. So a hole that was designed to go out and dog leg to the right and you're, you know, was designed to hit it to the corner and then hit your second shot out. Guys just hit it over the trees and hit it up by the green. Well, that's not how the hole is designed. So a lot of the great championships that we've had at um, a lot of the great golf courses around the country can't have them there anymore because the players are just too powerful and they just make it look like a, a local muni course, you know, because it's, they just hit it so far and they're just hitting yeah. drive and a little pitch in every hole. So that's what they're trying to get a hold of here in the game of golf. And, you know, with the, the distance balls going in the equipment and better athletes, it's just, you know, now, now we just have these, you know, crazy distances the guys are hitting. Now you, you brought up like the, the local courses. I don't know if you remember this, you and I went to a golfing range and you were hitting, there was these cylinders that were like a hundred yards away, 200 yards away. And you were pinging balls off of them. And I was just blown away by, like, I think I said to you, how the fuck do you ever lose? Like, <laughs> this is ridiculous that you can, you can do this. And you made a point about how golfing on a local course or golfing at a range is completely different psychologically from a tournament. Can you talk to us a little bit about what the differences are? It's just that variability, you know, you, and you hit that shot down the first fairway and you get there and you might, it might be a big side slope. Your ball might be this much above your feet. And now, now the wind's blowing this way. So it's a totally different thing, totally different animal. And you have to adjust for that setup. So that's one of the things that's different about the range of the course. And then the other thing is on the range, there's no consequence. You're just hitting at a target. If you miss it, you pull another one over. Right now, all of a sudden on the, on the golf course, there might be water there. There might be out of bounds. There might be trees. So you have a consequence. So that adds that psychological factor in that this counts. And um, so there, then there's the thing too. Cause that's something that I don't hear talked about. Like I, when we formed a friendship, I started watching golf all the time to try and learn about what you do. And when they interview you guys, it doesn't seem there's much emphasis put on that, but you also told me a story that every local club has got their guy that can go out and shoot 59, 60, 61, whenever he wants. And they think yep. they can go out and just compete like the U S open, but then they get there. It doesn't work out like that, does it? And, and so what are the you know. mental things that, that affect that obviously crowd money pressure? Yeah. All of the above. I mean, the golf course conditions, the, um, you play your local club, and we have some great clubs here in Utah. We have some great public clubs here that have been able to play, uh, play a place called Glenmore yesterday. It was just a lot of fun. But like a place like there, if I hit it in the rough, it's not a big deal. There's a little bit of rough. I can hit it on the green, the ball stop. I can still shoot a good score hitting it, you know, the odd shot in the rough. Where, you know, your club player, that's a scratch golfer that shoots anywhere from 66 to 72. You put him on a U.S. Open course, he's shooting in the 80s just because of, the length of the golf course, the the consequence for missing a fairway, the uh, the difficulty of the greens, the green speeds, uh, the firmness of the greens, and then you throw in thousands of people and you're playing for you know lots of money, and um, yeah, I mean it's like I think I I was saying earlier, you know, Bobby Jones said it in the in the 1930s. He said, you know, club golf and tournament golf are two different sports. Not even it's not even the same sport. So, you know, club golf and going to the U.S. Open is totally different. Oh, I'll I'll put that into perspective too, because if I, if I go out and I shoot, like, yeah, I can get a, I can get a nice wedge shot right up onto the green. 
but when that green is surrounded by like 300 people, like right up to the edge of the green, I honestly don't know how you guys do that without like crapping yourselves. <laughs> my confidence obviously isn't as, as high as somebody who does it as a pro, but that is a whole nother level of pressure. Yeah. It just adds a new, a new layer in your brain. You know, you start thinking uh, about a consequence, right? What if I do this? What if I do that? And mm-hmm. that triggers the, that triggers the mind gets it away from the task at, Instead of instead of thinking about where I want the ball to go, you're thinking about what I don't want to have right. happen. So how how, how how do you train around that? Because it's not like you're you're going to go out to a golf course and hire a bunch of people to stand around so you can practice shooting against a crowd, right? Right, right. So like like how do you how do you get yourself to the point where you're like you're you're maybe comfortable taking a shot like that? I think it's uh, you know trial and error, getting out there and getting more comfortable. You know, over the years, you you kind of get used to that. I think. Hmm. You know, Rob and I have talked about this. We talked about routine a lot. Um, you know, you know, years ago we were talking about that. And golfers are really habit oriented and routine oriented. I mean, you put a stopwatch to Tiger Woods from the time he walks into the ball to the time he pulls the trigger and hits a shot. It's probably you know within a half a second or something. You know, there's yeah. a, there's a timing, there's a cadence to it. The way he looks at it, um, whether he does a little waggle, whether he takes a practice swing, it'll probably be done the same way every time, every day. Um, Jack Nicholas, you watch Jack Nicholas, just the way he, he picks a spot in front of his ball and his eyes track from that spot up to the target. You can see he does it on every single shot. And that's the key I think is to overcome those pressure situations is you can fall back on that routine and just go, okay, I just have to do this. This is what I do. This is my, uh, this is the way I go about things. You know, it's just like a guy at the free throw line, let's say, you know, here for the Utah jazz used to dribble twice you know, say his kids' names and then shoot the shot. You know, Jeff Hornacek used to rub his face twice or something, dribble and shoot. And he mm-hmm. did it every time. And um, so we kind of kind of fall into those same things with chipping and putting. We have these little routines that we go through and we try to do them the same time. So our body gets used to doing the same thing. So that's kind of like a little bit of immune for the, you know, the pressure under if it's putt yeah. for thousands of thousands of dollars you're just trying to <clears throat> if you're thinking about that you miss the putt but if you right. just do your routine you kind of maybe get past that right are there any exercises that you do to free yourself completely of the mental pressure because i i, I want to say this with you i think you've got an added dimension that some people don't have because you're playing for a whole country in a way remember mm-hmm. the raptors won the championship last year like it was for canada yeah. every canadian was cheering for them. You're the guy in Canada. So I, I feel like that's advantageous, but I feel like there's a lot of extra pressure as well. Did you feel that during your career? And what do you do to relieve that? Yeah, I did. Now, you know, now there's a lot more Canadians and, and you know, really some really good player, young players. Uh, but early in my career <clears throat> and even into my heyday when I was really playing good, yeah, I was the, the lone guy. There were some other guys out there playing, but you know, not at that level. So yeah, I did, I did feel that, uh, that pressure. And, um, I had a great sports sports psychologist I work with up at Utah state, Rich Gordon. We talked about, you know, the about, uh, as we talked about earlier in this podcast is about the balance of my life and not taking it too seriously. Um, I do a bunch of visualization at night, um, I meditate, um, and just try to take that pressure away. Um, I try to, uh, you know, bring a sense of gratitude that I was, you know, healthy and I'm out there competing and doing something that I love and try to just focus on those things. <clears throat> uh, because yeah, it was, uh, 
you know, everything was critiqued uh, at a high level, um, good or bad. You're, you know, as Don Shula said, you're never as uh, good as they say you are. You're never as bad. I tried to try to remember that um, when I was out there playing. So those those little details that I always just tried to remind myself of. And I, and I journal, you know, I try to write things down. You know, if I had a bad day, I just kind of write it down and then write it off. And almost like I turn the page and then starting over the next day. <clears throat> Do you think it helped you living in the United States versus living in Canada to escape that pressure a little bit? Because I'll tell you, like, from my perspective, if if you went to where I'm from in northern Ontario, Sudbury, and you, Tiger Woods walked onto a golf course, people would be kind of excited if... Uh, Jack Nicklaus walked on a golf course. People would be kind of excited. If you walked on a golf course, people would lose their shit. Like, do you feel that it helped you being away from that a little bit being down here? Uh, yeah, there might be something to that, Rob. Yeah, I think so. I think maybe, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's a pretty big golf community here in Utah, but you know, it, it, you know I guess the microscope wouldn't have been as, uh, as sharp you know, living here compared to if I lived back in, in Sarnia or Toronto or somewhere during that time, I'm sure it would have been a little bit more. I would have been able to commiserate with what Tiger goes through probably every day of his life. You know, he probably he said he'd never go to a movie theater. He couldn't go out, you know, just going to the grocery store or whatever. It's just a whole different dimension to, to your everyday life because we're, we're golfers and you just want to kind of go about your business and, um, it would have been, yeah, it probably would have been a little bit more stressful. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Now, when you go out, that said, when people recognize you, do they, do they just ask you about golf all the time? Yeah, most like, of the that, time. It's about, <laughs> most of the time it's about golf. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? uh, how, do you, how, do you, how do you deal with that? Because it's like, I, I get it on a small level because when anyone sees me, I'm obviously 6'3", 260 pounds, it yeah. goes right. Uh, hey, do you know a good exercise for pets? Yeah. And I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> right, right. Anymore? How deal with that? Right. I think patience. I think patience. And the other thing is, I, I mean, I love I love the sport. You know, I love I love golf. I love talking about it. Uh, so I don't have a problem with it. Um, but yeah, you know, it takes some patience sometimes. You know, when you're, you know, some days are better than others. Like everybody, right? You're you're in a, a better mood than other other days, and um, you know, you, some days you're, you know, you can, you can be at the grocery store and spend an extra 15, 20 minutes chatting with somebody who just wants to talk about golf, but other times you're in a hurry and you want to get out of there. So, um, but yeah, but I do love the sport and I love talking about it. So it's, it's not, not a no problem. Mike, I'm curious I, I, I like what, that. What, what your, uh, your gym routine looks like, like what does training to be a professional golfer look like? Cause I'm, I'm making the assumption here that you're not too concerned about your one rep max ba- you know, bench, or you're not right. trying to pull a 600 pound deadlift. I don't know that that trans transfers to the sport. So where do you balance like your, your, your own, I guess, physical health with the actual performance goals of the sport. And, and what does that training program look like for you? Yeah, like, um, it, it varies, uh, you know, week to week, month to month right now, I'm doing some, you know, more explosive training, doing a bunch of med ball tosses, um, doing some squatting. I'm doing a little bit of, um, uh, cable work. Uh, I wrap a, a band around like the, uh, and I, and I kind of have it around my waist and I do some, um, like I said, I'm working on my hip extension and rotation. So I'll do some with, uh, with bands and on the, on a cable machine. Um, what else am I doing right now? Med ball tosses. I'm doing a lot of scapular work. So I'm doing like, um, 
some, oh geez, I'm trying to think like with a rope where I'm pulling down, do some lat pull downs. Okay. Single okay. arm lat pull downs. Is that, is that um, all based around specific like golf needs? Yes. Okay. It's specific, specific for me. Right. You know, my left, my left scalp is a lot uh, tighter than my right. So I'm doing a lot of lat stretching as well. Okay. Um, thoracic stretching. Um, and then, you know, like I said some explosive med ball things, um, do a lot of lunging. Mm-hmm. Um, and then odd days I'll do, I'll do a lot of cardio. I'll, I'll run, I'll do, uh, I'll do some biking, get treadmill on here. I'll, I'll throw that on a big incline, do some like power walking. Um, so it kind of varies. And then, and then I get my, my golf stuff in my golf training. I hit the range. I'll go chip a putt. Mm-hmm. Um, yesterday I played, I'm trying to write right now, play a couple days a week. Well, you know, Utah, the golf courses have been open. Yeah. So walking in Rob actually taught me this years ago. We were, we were talking about getting cardio in and we were doing some, you know, we were doing some running and doing some sprinting and doing a bunch of things. He's like, wait a minute here. We're how much walking are you doing when you, when you mm-hmm. play? And I told him, you know, it's like, I don't know, it's probably six, seven miles. And he said, wait a second here. You're getting a lot of pretty good <laughs> cardio yeah. in just yeah. doing that. So, I mean, we still did the sprinting. We still did some runs. We still did all that, but, uh, you know, as golfers, you're, you're put, you're logging a lot of miles. Um, yeah. and of course, yeah. of course, there's a week out there, you know, you, let's say you play two practice rounds plus four rounds, you know, you seven, eight miles, nine miles a day between, you know, the range back and forth. And then you walk, walk the course. So you're getting quite a bit of, uh, low impact cardio going, yeah. getting your 10,000 steps. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When, when are your weights happening in the day? Because I'm assuming you also have to be careful how hard you go in the weight room. Because if you say woke up at six in the morning today and crushed it and you were shaky trying to hit golf balls, that would not be a good thing, would it? Right. Yeah. Not for me. You know, I'm going to be 50 in a couple of weeks. And, you know, when I was a little bit younger, I could do that. And I like an off week like this when I don't have a tournament to play, you know, I, I could do that and maybe push a little harder. Like this morning I did like the, uh, a little routine where I did all these med ball, did med ball lunges, overhead squats. I did some jumping with some dumbbells. That's another thing like some explosive dumbbell presses. And, uh, you know, I can do a couple sets of that and run through this whole thing and then go play and, and no problem. But to do like, yeah, some heavy squatting and, you know, a bunch of pull-ups and push-ups and, you know, flies and things like that. Um, I'm not doing as much as that uh, of that anymore. Some guys, some of these young guys, I mean, Kepka was uh, talking quite openly about that. Of, like he had a huge lift, you know, the morning before the final round of the U.S. Open, he went in and he was lifting pretty heavy before the final round. So maybe that's a 20-year-old's game to do that. But um, I don't know if that's a, that'd be a long-term smart thing. Who do you think is the fittest guy on the tour? Oh, boy. Fittest guy? I don't know. Um, I think McElroy probably number one player yeah. in the world right now. I mean, you know, he, I follow him and he, uh, he posts a bunch of the stuff that he does and he gets after it hard. And, uh, you know, from, you look at what he looked like when he first got out as a, mm-hmm. a young kid, you know, in the late teens, early twenties to, to what he is now. And he's totally transformed his body and, you know, powerful guy now. And, um, you know, very fit guy. Yeah. What, what age, speaking of fitness, cause fitness obviously plays a role. What age do you think guys hit where it becomes hard to keep up with the young kids? Like, is there a drop off age like in the tour that you notice? Is it 38, 39, 42? Yeah, there's, there's not 
many guys near the top in their forties anymore. There's a few guys that have done well under their forties. You know, Jim Furyk has done very well. He's exact same age as me. Mickelson's still done quite well. He's going to be 50 soon as well. Um, you know, on the champions tour, Bernard Longer's 62 years old, but he's competing against guys 50 and over, right. The, the senior tour. Um, so, you know, most VJ Singh won a bunch of tournaments in his forties, you know, into the, you know, up until about 2013 or so he did very well in his forties, but the, the real, you know, uh, sweet spot for the guys seemed to be, well, it's getting a little younger. It used to be kind of early thirties. It seems to be getting younger and younger now with uh, technology and how experience used to be a huge factor. And in my era, when I got out of college, Phil Mickelson was the best player, right? He was the best college player. He, he won a, a PGA tour event when he was in college at Arizona state and he got right on the PGA tour and did well. There wasn't many guys like that. There was a two or three guys, David DeBall, Justin Leonard, a few guys that right out of college got on the tour and did well. And the rest of us, like myself and a bunch of, bunch of, a bunch of us at my age, we had to play mini tours and get experience and get better. And we just weren't ready. You know, we weren't good enough. We didn't have the technique. We didn't have the mental capacity. We weren't, we weren't there yet. I didn't get on the tour until I was 28. But nowadays, I mean, last year, there was three guys right out of college that, you know, got on the tour and won right away. Colin Morikawa and uh, um, Matthew Wolf and um, Victor Hovland, another kid out of Oklahoma State. I mean, these kids are like 21, 22, getting on the tour and winning. And so it's getting younger and younger. Um, but, it's, you know, I think the 20s and 30s are the sweet spot for golf, for sure. Yeah. Do you think that's going to extend as time goes forward? Because I, I look at it, you see guys like Tom Brady, for example, at 43 years old, he's still one of the best quarterbacks in the league. But what people don't take into account is he started his fitness routine in his twenties. Do you think now with the prevalence of strength and conditioning in golf, you're going to see that window extend for guys because people are back in your day, people weren't paying attention when they were 20 to what the fitness is going to look like in 35. I think that's a much bigger factor. Now. Yeah. And I think that could, that'd be an interesting trend to watch. And I like to think if I wouldn't have gotten injured there in 2010 with my elbow, that I'd still be probably doing a lot better than what I've done the last 10 years. Um, that was a huge setback. And my, after that injury, my game declined heavily and it's been, you know, a big struggle to try to get it back. But, um, you know, I think, I think you will see some guys, you know, hopefully you will see some guys in their, in their forties and, uh, extend it. I don't know. And in, into the fifties that I think you'll still, you can see some guys in their, in their late forties and fifties still compete. I don't even see the best player in the world be there, but you'll see some guys still maybe in the top, you, know, you can still see some guys in the top 40, 50 in the world, um, into their forties and fifties and maybe even better than that. Um, but probably not the best player. Yeah. Now one more, one more question for you on that note, you, if I, if I get this right, you hurt your elbow. It was at the British open. The ground is super hard and you struck the ground with the, with the club and that caused like a tear in the tendon. Is that correct? Well, I hit it. Well, that, that exacerbated it there, but it, I hit it at Hilton head and Hilton head is in South Carolina. And, uh, I hit a shot just, just off the fairway in the trees under this tree. And I had a shot. I was punching a shot from about 180 yards, kind of a long four iron, I believe trying to keep it low under the trees. And the ball was sitting on all these pine needles and my ball was just sitting on top there. When I went down to hit the shot, there was a huge tree right in front of the ball. That I couldn't see because of the, the pine needles. 
and my club, because I was driving it down so low, my club just stuck right against the tree root. And I felt the shock go right up, you know, into my elbow. And, uh, and that's where I tore the extensor tendon on my right elbow. And I didn't really realize it at the time. I mean, it, it hurt and, you know, I played the rest around and I started favoring it and, you know, blah, 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 blah. It started, you know, hurting. And after that tournament was over, I took a few weeks off. It started to feel better. And as soon as I would start the practice routine again to start back, it would immediately just get worse and worse. And I, I tried a number of different things, tried the PRP in my elbow. I was off again for another month. And when I came back, it was just the same thing, just never got better. So I went and had surgery. But um, yeah, I did go to the British Open that, that summer and play and on that firm turf. Um, what the doctors told me is that, that was probably when at Hilton Heads where I initially tore it. And then the more I tried to keep coming back and play, it kept tearing worse and worse uh, from there. So, um, yeah, that's things happen, right? I mean, things happen in, yeah, now, in, in sport. Yeah. Now where I'm going with that though, is can you talk a little bit about the injuries in golf? Because people don't necessarily look at it as like a contact sport. Right. Like they don't rank it the same as like football, for example, but there's a lot of guys that get hurt playing golf. What are the most common injuries? I think most of them are the overuse injuries. You know, we, we practice so hard. We hit so many balls, a lot of backs, knees, uh, shoulders, necks, guys, you know, because you're, you're doing this explosive rotation one way and we're not, you know, I'm guilty of it as well. We're not very good at maybe swinging right. And you know, for me being a left hand golfer, maybe taking some swings right-handed and doing things to balance out your body. When you're swinging one way, you're, you know, for me, I'm putting a lot of stress on my, on my lower left side of my back. Um, you know, my neck, you know, and then your, then your hands and your joints take a pounding, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're, you get on firm turf, like the British open, you hit a lot of balls, you're, your joints and your wrists and elbows and, you know, start to take its toll. So that's another thing I've done a lot more in my forties. And as I'm approaching 50 is a lot more rehab, a lot more ice baths, icing my elbow, icing my back, uh, infrared saunas, anything I can do to kind of recover after a, a big day of working out and practicing and trying to get back for the next day. Is, is that something that you're progressive with or is that, the, the kind of like guided feel on the tour? Like, does every guy have an infrared sauna? Is every guy doing cryo? Is every guy doing that type of dedication to recovery? I think most guys are now. I think a lot of the, the top guys are doing that. I, um, I started doing it a long time ago. Uh, I guess, you know, 10 years ago, I, I started with ice baths and started doing things like that. Um, and, you know, I just moved into this house a couple of years ago. So we put an infrared in here. So that's really helped um, a lot too. Um, so yeah, I think most of the guys are doing a lot more, uh, therapy and recovery for sure now. Yeah. I love hearing that because I think, I think the models there, Tom Brady does it all the time. Mm-hmm. LeBron, there was a thing that came out the other day that you find interesting. He spends a million dollars a year on his body. Just that? LeBron, did you say? LeBron, yeah. a million dollars a year between trainer uh, cryo, he's got a cryotherapy chamber at his house, sauna, yeah. like the whole deal. And, and it's funny because he's a business. I mean, there was a, there was another thing that came out during this lockout. He's losing $400,000 a game. What? Is like the cost to his, sure. to the business sure. of being LeBron. So it's good to hear that guys are more, uh, progressive. What's your plans for the future? What do you, what do you want to accomplish? What are your goals? 
Well, yeah, in a couple of weeks, I turned 50 and, um, you know, we have this thing, you know, the old, the old days we used to call it the senior tour. Now it's called PGA tour champions. So it's 50 and over, um, you get to compete out there at, with guys that I, you know, looked up to and a lot of guys that I played a lot of my practice rounds with in formative years in golf, you know, the Bernard Longers and Marco Mirrors and Fred Couples and um, all of these guys that uh, I'm really looking forward to, to competing against again. And, you know, there's a, a nice little second career in golf that we can have. We're really lucky that way that uh, you still compete in your 50s and 60s. As I was saying earlier, Bernard Longer, 62 years old or three, I believe, and just one before this whole COVID things happened, he just won in Tucson at 62 years old, you know, beating all the guys, you know, 50 and, um, and above, but you know, it's quite an accomplishment. He's really kept it going. There's a guy that, you know, his body hasn't changed at all. He still looks the same as when he did in his thirties. And he's a really disciplined guy that, that, that does all the things we've talked about today. You just tell he's, he does all the right things and he's been able to keep it going into his sixties, which is really cool in our sport to be able to do that. So, I'm just excited to, you know, my last few years, I've only played a handful of events each year. I haven't played much and to be back on the PGA tour champions and be able to play a full schedule, Mm -hmm. get into a nice routine and and competitive routine again, is what I'm looking forward to. How is that for you? Are you, are you more excited about leaving all the, the younger guys behind where you're not getting thrown into the, into the lion's den with them or are, is it intimidating now to be jumping in with guys that you've been looking up to your whole career? It's, it's a a little bit of both. Like I, I miss, um, I'll miss, you know, competing against the the best players in the world on the Mm -hmm. PGA tour. I miss that. I've really missed that the last bunch of years mainly because of my play has been so poor. And and when I have been out there, I haven't been able to compete. I haven't played well. Um, earlier this year, before this started happening, I started showing some really good signs. Start, I had a really nice tournament in Florida in, in mm-hmm. February where I started getting some momentum. I had a few weeks off and then everything kind of <clears throat> hit with the, with the COVID and everything got shut down. So I wasn't able to kind of build on that momentum. But yeah, I'll miss competing out there. Um, I'll always have my eye on the PG tour and love watching these young guys play and compete, but I'm really looking forward to getting out there. I'm not intimidated to go on the champions mm-hmm. tour. I've played with these guys uh, uh, for a long time. I just haven't, I've played with them in a number of years, but I played with them a lot in my, in my heyday and I'm looking forward to getting out there and competing with them again. Love it. Love that. Now, Mike, I, I do have a random question for you. So okay. I, I collect stuff. I'm, I'm looking in my, my basement right now. I got a, Assigned President's Cup flag from 2007. I can't remember where I got it, but it's a it's a fa- it's a centerpiece in my gym. Um, it may have come from you. I got a Tony Romo autographed jersey. I got I got Dallas Cowboys stuff. Uh, I'm seeing you do this giveaway on the Instagram um, for like some of these clubs that you've used in in, yeah. in matches. Uh, if, if I enter that, like if I, if I DM you or put my comment in, am I disqualified? Cause I'm Bobby Maximus. Or do I need to make a fake profile to have a chance at winning? Or how can I get my hands on some of this stuff? Well, if you DM me and try to like bribe me or something from like free training or something, yeah, you're disqualified. But if you just enter, honestly, you're in. All right. Florida. It's, it's good to see this. And man, it's, it, it's a pleasure talking to you. Uh, it's pretty cool for me being a Canadian guy. Um, I think out of all the people I've ever worked with, uh, the people back home are like most impressed by you, which is pretty cool. They love you. So it's good to see. Oh, it's thanks, good man. To see you doing well. Yeah. yeah so, good talking to you guys. Thanks, Robbie. We'll be in touch for sure. 
Yeah, for sure. And uh, don't be a stranger. You're like right in the hood now. So yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll have to get out for uh, a cold kokanee or a uh, Molson or something. I, I don't know. Can you buy that down here? I know you can buy it at the state liquor store. You can get some Molson. But <laughs> I've, got some kokanee. Yeah. I've got some kokanee in my fridge right now. Do yeah, I'm always I'm always stocked with Molson here because that's our <laughs> beer of choice. You get, I got Golden, I got I got Molson Canadian, I got some Labatt 50. If you're into that, wow. we got a whole array of Canadian. <laughs> All right, I'm coming over. You're welcome to come and get some. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Joe. Right. Yeah, nice to meet you, Mike. You too. Take care, guys.